You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. For those of you watching on the video version, you'll see I've got a massive smile on my face. Not because I'm overly gassed that we beat West Bromwich Albion, but because I got up this morning, I went into work, I went into the studio and I did not have to talk about an Arsenal defeat. And that is obviously a positive. That is obviously something that ensures you start your day in the right way. And uh, that's exactly what I've done today. Uh, so Arsenal, of course, battering West Brom last night. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is back. We're going to be discussing uh, him on this show. We're also going to be talking uh, a little bit about Mikel Arteta's press conference today ahead of the Manchester City game. His update on the future of Willian. We're also going to be talking about the rumoured Qatari interest in an Arsenal takeover, as well as glossing over just briefly the news about Cristiano Ronaldo potentially heading to Manchester City, as well as the story that Real Madrid have just submitted an improved offer for Kylian Mbappe. You feel like this might be a crazy final week in the transfer window. Right, let's start off by talking about our captain, our talisman, the mighty Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And I gave him lots and lots of praise on the post-match show last night because I think he deserves it. I think that he has... Uh, been the subject of a lot of anger lately. And I think what people were getting frustrated with is that there was all this talk about what Arsenal were doing with a view to the future, about the players we were bringing in, about what Bukayo Saka might go on to be, what Emil Smith-Rowe might go on to be, that we almost kind of, I think, undervalued how important it is that our senior players, the likes of Aubameyang, the likes of Lacazette, the likes of Xhaka actually step up to the plate and deliver regularly. Because if they do, these young players make a fine supporting cast, but the senior boys need to improve and they need to deliver on a much more consistent basis. And in fairness to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, he hasn't always done that over the last 12 months. Now, there have been other circumstances that have contributed to that. We know that his uh, mother was unwell and he took some time out from that. We know that he had malaria last season. We know he had covid right at the start of this season. So while we're talking about, um, you know, all sorts of different scenarios and situations that have contributed to Aubameyang's form not being as good as we'd expect, I think actually we, you know, have to be a little bit more focused, I think, on the senior players. I think we have to look at them rather than always pointing at the manager. And people will say I'm defending the manager again, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not. I just think that, as a senior group of players, you have to do more and you have to deliver more regularly. And in many ways, you have to be the example, don't you, to those young players coming through. Lots of people were talking about how, you know, or trying to make the comparison of, of previous Arsenal uh, youngsters who'd come up in a different generation who maybe had the likes of Patrick Vieira, Sol Campbell, Thierry Henry, Robert Pires to learn from. Um, and that's obviously, uh, you know, that's obviously a very different situation to the one we've got now because those players did deliver every single week. But I just think not only for the club's fortunes in the short term, in terms of 
getting back to where they need to be and achieving what their objectives will have been at the start of the season. But it's important for these young players that they do have these people to look up to, that those people do deliver on a consistent basis and essentially show them the ropes. So, you know, I'm... Um, I'm pleased that Aubameyang played yesterday. I'm pleased that he got the hat-trick. And again, look, I was called earlier today, I was called Harry Caveat Simeu on the 90 Min show. But it is important to put context into, into discussions. You know, the context is key. And the context here is that we were playing against a poor and ultimately completely changed West Bromwich Albion side. But the confidence boost was, was needed. You know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang as an individual, needed something like that to maybe kickstart his form again. And I look forward to hopefully seeing him start in the game against Manchester City. We'll be bringing you the full preview to that one tomorrow. Uh, so um, stay tuned for that. And I'll be talking about the team I would go with on that as well. But for me, and, and Ray makes a really great point in the chat. He says the movements for his first two goals is what I looked on, not who he was playing against. He was hardly making those movements in the last few months of the season. This is key because it wasn't just about Aubameyang scoring goals. We've seen Aubameyang score goals when he hasn't really been able to impact games in other ways. But what Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang showed last night was movement, was an interest, an interest that many of us felt that he might have lost over the last few months. But agree, the movement was really good. The timing of his runs was excellent. Um, I said it on the post-match podcast. I said that there'll be uh, you know, in other against other opponents, we probably won't get that much space. We probably won't get that much time. They probably won't push their defence as high up as West Brom did, in which case those spaces are not as, as easily found. But yeah, look, I think you have to take uh, you have to take some some joy from what we saw last night. And listen, I know there'll be people that say Aubameyang's not back yet. Don't get carried away with Arsenal. Don't get happy. We're going to go and get battered by Manchester City at the weekend. But why? Why? Oh, why? Is everybody so desperate to kind of pour cold water on a 6-0 away win? I don't care what competition it was in. I don't care who the opponents were. Arsenal went into that game with a real lack of confidence, with everybody's eyes on them. The manager under incredible scrutiny, and they came out with an incredible um, and, and convincing 6-0 win away from home. And that is a difficult thing to do at any level uh, so fair play to Arsenal, you know, let's, if we're going to go in hard when they get beat, if we're going to, you know, really stick the knife in when things don't go our way, then let's be fair and praise them when something does go right and enjoy it and be happy. And, um, and that for me is, uh, is really important. People are saying, oh, you know, he, he ain't going to do it at the weekend against City. He ain't going to do that at the Etihad. Maybe he won't, but Manchester City as a football club are on a completely different planet to us right now in terms of what they spend, in terms of the talent they have. They have a better manager. They have everything, all the ingredients of a top side. We're still building. You know, we're not there. We, we haven't been there for quite some time. So don't look at what happens against Manchester City and draw all your conclusions on that. I've said this before. I've said this before. Arsenal season will not be defined by games against Chelsea and games against Manchester City. And this is not me being overly optimistic. This is not me accepting mediocrity. This is simply me being, being realistic. And, and the reality is that we're not going to compete with City. We're not going to compete with Chelsea. I want to see spirited performances. If we can get a result, great. I want to see us organised. I want to see us set up right. Didn't feel that was the case against Chelsea. Hopefully, Mikel gets it right against City at the weekend. But you know, let's let's take some positives out of what we saw 
last night. Let's take some positives from the fact that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is back in amongst the goals. And as Ray pointed out, more than that, he looked sharp, he looked interested, and he looked like he, he wants to be here, which is fantastic because uh, there's been a lot of talk uh, to the contrary over the last few days. So that's my little bit on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. The other thing I wanted to touch on uh, while we're on the subject of senior players, is the future of Willian. Uh, because, of course, uh, he has been heavily linked with a move away. We talked about it yesterday, reports doing the rounds that Willian um, has agreed to terminate his contract with Arsenal, that he was uh, open to a move to Brazil, to Corinthians specifically, but that Arsenal might have to somehow subsidise some of that wage so that that deal can be done. It's not a termination of the contract. That term has been banned about. But if you're ultimately paying him off, it's kind of like a settlement, isn't it? Rather than a termination. You've not just cut it and ended it. You're actually settling it, which is a bit different. Uh, but interestingly, uh, Mikel Arteta was asked about Willian today uh, in the press conference. Is he leaving? I think was the question put to him. And he said, we're having some conversations with him and the agent and we're evaluating the position that we're in at the moment. So Mikel Arteta didn't shut that down, which suggests that William is edging closer towards an exit. He was then asked about why he thinks it hasn't worked out for William just yet, or, or why it didn't work out for him at Arsenal in his first season. And Mikel didn't really want to give detail. I understand. I mean, what's he going to say? He's a lazy so-and-so, doesn't give his all in training, comes back overweight. Etc. He's not going to say that, is he? He's not going to throw the player under the bus. So, Felt like a bit of a wasted question to me, um, especially with Mikel Arteta, who we know is so good at kind of giving a nothing answer and just batting the question back in the direction of the reporter. So that was the the bit on Willian. He was also asked a little bit about Ben White. Is Ben White going to be available? Uh, he said he's asymptomatic. Uh, of course, Ben White testing positive for COVID and he said he's going to bring him back to training and get him playing games as soon as possible, but was very vague on that. Uh, he also said that Gabriel... Uh, was uh, close, didn't want to say if he would be available for the game on Saturday. He said he's getting closer. He's had a couple of sessions with the team, but we don't know. Let's see tomorrow how he is, uh, which was interesting. And he talked a little bit about the, the thing that, uh, the point that Arsenal still have some things they are looking at doing between now and the end of the window. Didn't say it as cut and dry as that. He said there are still things to do, I think was the phrase he used. But Mikel Arteta, uh, being his usual self and not giving anything away uh, when faced by the media. So those were kind of some of the highlights from Mikel Arteta's press conference. And, and you know, it, it was a, a more upbeat Mikel Arteta. It was a Mikel Arteta who looked happier. It was a Mikel Arteta who looked actually quite relieved. He looked a lot less stressed than he has in recent weeks and understandably so. Again, Putting into context, I know it was West Brom. I know it was a second string. I know it was only the EFL Cup. I know it was only the second round. A round that Arsenal shouldn't even really be bloody playing in. But, but it's a win. We needed a win. We needed to get one under our belts. We needed to get one as soon as possible because the longer that rot went on, you felt the more difficult it was going to be for Arsenal to get out of it. Now, the other big story I want to touch on uh, in this episode of the podcast is with regards to the alleged Qatari interest in Arsenal Football Club. Now, let's just kind of start from the beginning on this, right? So Arsenal fans, as we all know, not best pleased with the Cronkies, want them out, feel like the club would be in better hands with somebody else, somebody uh, with a bit more sporting pedigree or somebody in the mould of 
the Manchester City and Chelsea sugar daddies. That's what people want. You know, it's the fast track way to get him back to the top of the Premier League. It would be to make significant investment, to go out and bring in top class players that are currently out of our reach, thanks to the financial backing of a very, very rich owner. Daniel Ek, uh, the owner and CEO of Spotify, had expressed his interest via social media. That interest developed. He'd recruited the help of some Arsenal legends and he had submitted a bid. According to him, he submitted two bids that were turned down, knocked back by KSE, who, of course, uh, have reiterated their stance over and over again that they do not want to sell. They have no interest and they have no need to sell. Now, I always said this about Daniel Ek from the very beginning. It's very difficult for someone to put pressure on someone to do something they don't want to do when they're more powerful than you. And I'm talking about financially powerful. And we touched on this a little bit on yesterday's podcast, so I don't want to kind of repeat myself. But the point was that Daniel Ek would struggle to make the Cronky sell because he's unable, it seems, to go quite a bit above of the what would be the asking price or quite a bit above the, the market value for the Cronkies to go, well, yeah, this is too good a deal now. We've just got to take this. Also, I talked about the fact that if Daniel Ek did come in, would he then be able to raise the finance to invest in the team the way some of these other owners have done and therefore elevate the team's level quickly? And again, I've got question marks over that. But if there is one group of people in the world that could do that, that could pay over the odds so that the, the Cronkies do feel like there is too good an offer on the table to just ignore and at least come to negotiations. It's, it's, it's the Qatari royal family. And it's really interesting because uh, the Sheikh Khalifa bin Hamad Al Thani, I think I've said that right, who is a member of the Qatari royal family, uh, has been putting out some what you would probably call cryptic tweets, uh, leaving Arsenal fans, as it reads the headline, convinced that the Qatar takeover could be imminent. Uh, people are starting to speculate a little bit about this, and it continues uh, to um, to uh, gather momentum as a story. Now, Sheikh Khalifa bin Hamad Al-Tani, we'll call him the Sheikh for, for ease, uh, he says the former, he says, Sorry, who is the former president of the Qatari side, Al Arabi, and current member of the ruling royal family of Qatar, uh, posted a picture of the Arsenal badge, and his caption was "The rest of time, seven months." He also said, "I think it's time to sell. The situation is getting worse than bad." And Kuwaiti newspaper Al Kabas has since reported that the Sports Investment Authority in Qatar is keen to add a Premier League team to their ranks. They already have a huge influence over European football after the purchase of PSG. Can you just imagine an Arsenal with PSG's resources? Wow. Um, it would be crazy. But there and there is a but to this. There has been a lot of discussion about the kind of uh, moral issues around this. And there's a really good question in the chat. Uh, that I want to link this back to from uh, Owen. Uh, who's, how are you doing, Owen? Uh, good to see you, man. He says, question for you, mate. Where do you stand on the moral issue of the possible takeover, alleged allegations of human rights violations? Well, we saw, didn't we, when, when Newcastle were hoping uh, to do their deal with the Saudi uh, investment fund, that that hit a bit of a snag because of these very issues or these types of issues. There was a lot of opposition to the deal. Uh, while it was never said that they didn't pass the Premier League owners and directors test, I think it's pretty fair to say, uh, you know, that that 
that that was probably part of the reason. Now, the Premier League didn't want to do that, didn't want a massive lawsuit coming their way, and there's still discussions about that and talks about that and how that might be resolved, if at all, if it can be uh, going on currently. But I just think for me, obviously, I'm against human rights violations. Obviously, I don't like things like that. Obviously, I don't think that it looks good on a football club to be associated with people who have a track record uh, of something like that. Now, at this stage, they are just allegations. So it's also difficult to kind of to be, you know, so damning on them to say that the Qatari royal family are guilty of human rights, uh, human rights breaches, you know, and all that. If we don't actually know, and I'll be honest, I don't know enough about the subject. I don't know enough about these people. I don't know enough about their culture to understand whether that is genuine, uh, whether that would be something that, you know, people would take an issue with. I also want to say that it's important to note that while that stuff shouldn't go under the radar and shouldn't be ignored and should be called out, I mean, do you think that Roman Abramovich hasn't got sort of a, a, a sketchy past? Do you think that, uh, you know, the Manchester City owners haven't got something you could pick them up on? They're all billionaires tend to have some kind of black mark against them, right? I mean, to become a billionaire, uh, unless you inherit it, you probably have to cross some lines somewhere. Um, you know, there are very few who've done it completely legitimately, never uh, never bent a rule anywhere along the line. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's one of those things where I'm obviously not for people that breach human rights, um, sort of regulations or, or deny people their basic human rights. But I also think we're in this place now where we've allowed so much to go with other clubs. If it happened with Arsenal, I'd probably be a little bit frustrated if our potential takeover, if it was true, was denied because of that, given the other people that are in power at some of the other clubs. Um, lots of you agreeing with that. Uh, Sam Ahasan says uh, the network, one of the Premier League's biggest broadcast partners, has for three years accused Saudi Arabia of being behind industrial scale piracy of its programming. Talking about the Newcastle situation. Yeah, that's one of the issues. But there were a lot there was a lot of opposition to it. Um, you know, there was a lot of opposition to the whole uh, Saudi takeover of Newcastle or proposed Saudi takeover um, issue. And, and and a lot of that was um, was to do with, yes, the broadcasting rights, as you said. Sorry, lost my trailer thought there. Yes, a lot of it was to do with the broadcasting rights. Being Sports, one of the Premier League's big partners, kicked up a massive fuss about the fact that there was piracy, industrial-sized piracy, as you say, going on in Saudi Arabia. Um, but I was covering Newcastle for Snack Media at the time, sort of in and out. You know, it was a really big story at the time and they were pulling writers from different kind of uh, categories into that at certain points. So I read quite a bit around it and there was a lot of stuff to do with human rights as well. I think the piracy thing was a big thing because where money's involved, people take notice. But I do think that it was it was l largely down to human rights stuff as well. Uh, Matt G says, I love you, Harry, but let's not what about this situation. We need to accept and own it as fans. Yeah, you know, and, and as I say, I wouldn't be happy if Arsenal put, you know, if the Premier League allowed someone who was clearly breaking laws, clearly violating people's basic human rights to come in and take control of our football club. My point is, though, is that 
the, the Premier League and, and all the footballing authorities can't be kind of standing there with open arms and kind of almost willing these billionaires to come in and bring all their cash and bring all their power and influence to the product. And then all of a sudden get on their high horse and say, well, no, actually, you know, you did this or you did that. It, we, it feels like we're too far down the line for that. To kind of do that now would be hypocritical. And I understand why Newcastle fans are quite pissed off about it because they will be looking at those in charge of Paris Saint-Germain. They will be looking at those in charge of Manchester City. They will be looking uh, at those, you know, in charge of a number of clubs, Roman Abramovich, and saying, well, where was all this diligence when these guys were getting control of their football clubs? And why are we the ones now being made an example of? So, yeah, it's um, it's a hard one. I know what you're saying, but I do think that the money talks at the end of the day. And I think that a lot of the time you'll see people kind of finding ways around it. And while these are just allegations and not actual findings, uh, you know, the, the Qatari royal family probably has the power to make this go away. But let's not get carried away. As many of you are pointing out in the chat, we don't know that this is going to happen, but it is a story that has really gathered pace uh, over the last few days. So I really wanted to, to mention it, to discuss it briefly. Again, just reiterating my stance, I'm not in favour of the breaching of people's human rights. I just never have the, the confidence in the authorities that that is enough to stop them doing a deal that brings them tons and tons of money. I always feel like when money is involved and with such powerful people, you will find rules being bent and you will find uh, sort of compromises being made if it suits certain people's pockets. And, that, and that's just the way we're at. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see what we've got uh, in the chat box. Lots of you commenting on this. Do you know what? Get your questions in now. Let's uh, let's go with some questions from the live chat box. As Smith says, uh, were you at West Brom yesterday? I wasn't. No, uh, I wasn't. Had an early start this morning and uh, didn't fancy uh, the trip to the West Midlands on a, on a Wednesday night. I got to say, uh, poor of me probably, but no, I didn't go it. Um, I didn't, I didn't go. Uh, right. Let's see uh, what else you guys are saying. As I say, get your questions in the chat box while you do that. I'm just going to quickly remind you guys that this podcast is brought to you by manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, head over to their website. Uh, make sure you enter the discount code 90 min 20 and you shall receive 20% off of your order as well as free worldwide shipping. Join over 2 million men worldwide who are now manscaping. And with their brand new trimmer, the Luma 4.0, you'll be sure to get the job done. Your partner, I promise you, will thank you. And the charge on it lasts a whole 90 minutes. As I said yesterday, if it takes you 90 minutes, you probably need to do something a little bit more drastic. But uh, <laughs> it does last uh, a whole 90 minutes, which is incredible. Right. Uh, let's see what else uh, we have on the agenda. We're going to take some of your questions and then we'll go on to uh, talking a little bit about the Cristiano Ronaldo stuff and about the Kylian Mbappe bits uh, too. Let's see what we've got. Uh, Tabrez Rahman says, did you think the midfield still looks slow and fragile even against the kids? Um, I didn't think the midfield looked amazing. I, th I thought it looked better with Martin Odegaard as part of it. I thought we moved the ball better with Martin Odegaard in the team. It was great to see Mohamed Elneny making a couple of good passes as well. Um, you know, and 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 sh 
I don't know, getting a bit of confidence from that. Still don't think he's good enough at the highest level. Still think we get found out if he plays week in, week out. But, you know, good to see him get a run out and good to see him do okay in it. It does look a bit slow. It does look like it's missing a bit of dynamism. But, you know, Thomas Partey's missing. I'd argue that Granit Xhaka is a better player alongside Thomas Partey than he is alongside Mohamed Elneny. And I'm not that concerned, I've got to say. Uh, not based on yesterday, anyway. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, just touching on the Harry Kane thing. Of course, Harry Kane announced yesterday that he will be staying at Tottenham Hotspur, but he was very clear to say for the season. Uh, I wonder if this was his big opportunity, though. Not sure there'll be as much. Well, no, I'm not going to say as much because there were only there was only one club interested, but I'm not sure Tottenham would be able to demand anything near the £150 million they were asking for this time next year uh, for Harry Kane. But as Matt says, is the moral of the Harry Kane transfer saga? Don't sign a six-year contract with no release clause, age 24. Yeah, and probably don't trust Daniel Levy with a gentleman's agreement as well. Um, but yeah, look, I think, you know, Harry Kane's made a bit of a, a twat of himself, if you ask me, because I don't understand why you would go as far as he did in terms of pushing it without guarantees that, the club you are wanting to move to are going to hit your asking price. I mean, there would have been informal discussions prior to that. You know, Manchester City would have known exactly what Tottenham were after. Tottenham would have made their uh, their asking price clear. And it feels as though, you know, Harry Kane maybe jumped the gun a little bit uh, and now he's having to backtrack. Manchester City weren't interested in paying uh, what they were asking, 150 million. And it seems now that they are looking to bring Cristiano Ronaldo to the Etihad. What a kick in the bollocks that is to Man United fans who regard him as a club legend. I mean, I'm not surprised. You know, Ronaldo has, uh, you know, always done whatever it takes to win. And going to Man City normally means you're going to win, especially this day and age. So I'm not surprised he's doing it. I think that it's, uh, if I was a United fan, though, I'd, I'd be a little bit upset about that. I'm not going to lie. Uh, not going to lie. But yeah, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo supposedly headed for Man City. Some are reporting it's a done deal. To what we know, it, it isn't yet. Uh, it's understood Juve want a fee of around about 20 million euros for him, but Man City don't want to pay that. Now, remember, Ronaldo's contract uh, is coming towards its end. And Juve, as I've said, you know, on, on Simply Serie A earlier this week, although they won't say it publicly, because they'll be slaughtered if they do. They'll be doing everything quietly behind the scenes to facilitate a deal that gets Cristiano Ronaldo out of the club. They're looking at life beyond him. They're looking at how they can develop this side. You feel like Dybala, someone who's going to be in the team a lot more, is going to be more central than Ronaldo to Allegri's plans moving forward. And they desperately, badly need to get his wages off of that bill. Uh, so I'd imagine that, um, that that will be happening uh, very, very well. I, I'm not going to say it will definitely be happening because it's not long to go in the window. There's not a long time to make this happen, but I do feel like it is a deal that has a very good chance of being completed. It would suit Pep Guardiola if they could bring him in on a two year contract. You'd feel still capable of scoring goals at the highest level as he's proven time and time again. And uh, I think it will be a great signing for City. Really raises their profile as a club further as well, doesn't it? We talk about these clubs like. Man City, Paris Saint-Germain. To me, these are clubs that are, and this is going to offend PSG and City fans, but they are clubs that are, uh, is it synthetic? Is that the word that I'm looking for? They're not 
they're, they're fake clubs. They're like plastic clubs. They were nothing before. You know, they were irrelevant clubs before uh, who got this incredibly big investment and then stepped up a gear. And they will start to create their history, but history takes decades to build up. It doesn't happen overnight in football. And, uh, you know, that is something that if you are Manchester City, you feel would not only, you know, help you as a team, but would add to your kind of legacy as or your or add to your history as a club. You had one of the best players of all time playing for your club. And it's the same with PSG and the Messi signing. So, uh, yeah, that's my take on that bit. Uh, let's take a few more of your questions from the chat. Uh, Smith says, uh, what do you use on your hair, bro? Uh, what do I use on my hair? I use some, um, I use some, uh, I don't even know what it's called. I'll check it out. Some kind of wax or is it wax or putty or whatever they call it. I don't know. I'll, I'll take a picture of it later and post it if you're that interested. Uh, Pani Sergiu on the Qatari thing. He says, Harry, our human rights are being violated every day by all the government. So why have a problem with the Qataris? Uh, Carlito says these Qatari accusations are hypocritical. No one questioned Israel's abuses against Palestinian people when Abramovich became an Israeli citizen. I'm not going to get into the whole politics uh, thing because I don't know enough about it to have an informed opinion. I also don't want to upset people that maybe have a different view. This is a football podcast, but um, I take the point on board that that the it does feel like sometimes the it's very easy for people to point the finger at other countries and other organizations and say, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. But actually sometimes the problem is closer to home, isn't it? I mean, I think England is a good example of that where we talk about racism. I think we talk a lot about racism in other countries. We watch a Serie A game and we hear, for example, monkey chants in the crowd and everybody's very quick to condemn that. And rightly so. But equally, I think sometimes you need to be a little bit more, not distance from it, because you need to call it out, but you need to deal with the problem in your own backyard first. And I don't think we're very good at that in, here in England. I think we overlook a lot of stuff. I think institutional racism, for example, in, in many aspects is overlooked, yet we are quick to point the finger at others. So I, I take that point. Uh, let's go back to uh, the chat box. Um, see what you guys are saying take a couple more uh osman ali says harry if you were charged with the task of buying a right back and a second player in the next five days who would you buy i'm i'm one of these people right i don't do this thing where i i scout through the world and i say oh, i'd love this guy to come to arsenal i'd love that guy to come to arsenal because unless there is some basis to that unless there is some truth in the interest i don't tend to get that carried away and get that invested with, with certain players in terms of a right back. I mean, a right back that I really, really like, but I am worried about his injury record is Tarek Lamptey. From the first time I saw him play for Brighton, I was really impressed. And I'd done a few commentaries last season on Brighton games where he was playing and he, he really stood out. I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was excellent, but I am massively worried about his injury problems. But if I if we can kind of get over that, if you like, in this hypothetical world where Harry's choosing who we bring in, then he's someone I'd look at because he fits into what we're doing in terms of that young profile of player who's still got plenty of room to develop and progress. So, yeah, I like him. Uh, a second player, I'm not sure who I would buy, but I would definitely bring in another midfielder. I don't know who that would be uh, if I'm being completely honest. 
And I'm sure the budget would dictate that. But I do think that we probably should look at a midfield player as well. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Uh, let's uh, let's have a look here. Um, just while we're on the subject of takeovers on this episode, uh, what, is, what have we got? Uh, Lewis Cooper says, do you think anything will come from Daniel X proposed takeover or do you think it's dead in the water? I think we always knew it was going to be a long thing, a long-winded, dragged-out thing where there was going to be interest for ages and maybe it didn't materialise straight away. But as I said a little bit earlier on in the show, I, I don't feel like Daniel Eck is big enough financially to pay far enough over the odds for the Cronkies to go, well, this is too good an offer for us to, to, to ignore. And that's why I'm not confident that that one's going to move forward. I'd love it to. I hope it does. But I just think if you want something and somebody wants to buy it, a lot of the time they have to be more powerful than you or willing to go that extra mile in order to persuade you. Because if you're stinking rich, why do you need to sell? So I, I think that's where we are with the Daniel Ek thing. And then if he did get hold of the club, I would question whether he'd have the money or be able to raise the money or find the money to actually pump back into the team and help us move forward the way that Chelsea have done it, the way that City have done it, the way that PSG have done it. So that's my reservation about Daniel Ek. Not that I don't think he's got the best intentions. I just don't feel like he's rich enough. And that sounds stupid because he's stinking rich, far richer than I'll ever be. But, you know, that's that's kind of the point here. Let's take uh, a couple more of your questions. Uh, speaking of human rights, again, he says, have Arsenal been abusing our human rights for 15 years? It bloody feels like it, doesn't it? Uh, it really does. Uh, let's see what else we've got. I'm going to take one more. Uh, I'm going to take this one from uh, Mozolo Radu, who says, what do you think of Corentin Taliso as an additional central midfield option? Now, it's our understanding uh, from reports we've read throughout the summer that he'd be available in a cut price deal. However, my fear uh, with someone like Corentin Taliso, similar to that of Tarek Lamptey, is injury after injury, after injury. And I've got a real issue with that. I think that in football, players can pick up injuries from freak accidents. Players can pick up injuries because, um, you know, because something went wrong, because they rolled their ankle, something completely out of the blue, a bad challenge from an opponent, which is obviously out of their control. But I and, and look, a prime example of that is Thomas Partey, immaculate fitness record before he joined Arsenal and now he's injured every week. So you can't always anticipate that. You can't always predict that. You can't always protect yourself against that. But you can protect yourself against investing big in players who have a history of it and who are likely to break down again and again and again and again. Uh, so Toliso falls into that category uh, for me. He really does. And so I don't really think Arsenal should be looking at somebody like that. Um, I think it's, uh, I don't think it's the way uh, to go. I really don't. Uh, right. I I think uh, I'm going to leave it there. Some of you asking about the Benjamin Mendy stuff. I haven't actually read that. Um, what What is the story on Benjamin Mendy? I've just Googled him, but I mean, what, what's, what's coming up with Benjamin Mendy just now? Let's, let's have a look if I can find it while we're online. Um, just trying to find whatever this story is about Benjamin Mendy or you lot having me on 
because uh, I don't know what the hell the story is. Uh, let me know in the chat if you... Uh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I found it. Manchester City's club statement. Manchester City can confirm that following his being charged by the police today, Benjamin Mendy has been suspended pending an investigation. The matter is subject to a legal process and the club is therefore unable to make further comment until that process is complete. What's he done? What's Benjamin Mendy done? Sorry that I'm like researching this on a live show, but uh, what has Benjamin Mendy done? Uh, Benjamin Mendy charged with four. Oh, my God. Just seen it. Oh, my God. Benjamin Mendy charged with four counts of rape. And one count of sexual assault against three complainants aged over 16. Cheshire Constabulary has said. Wow. That's shocking. He should be banned from playing. If I were a football club, if I were a football club, I am not having that, you know, and again, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, of course. And, and, you know, we have to be careful not to jump to conclusions. We know that given he's a footballer, there's always going to be a media frenzy around something like this. And you should be uh, kind of mindful that some of what's written might not necessarily be the gospel truth. However, an allegation like that is serious. We're not talking about, you know, he gave someone a, a shove in a nightclub and, you know, it's not, it's wrong, but it's not like flipping crazy. Um, you know, it's, uh, but for me, I just think that with something like that, you can't just ignore it. You can't just ignore that allegation. I think he probably should be uh, suspended by the football club, but don't know. Don't know what's going to happen. As I say, don't know the story. Don't know the ins and outs of it. Don't want to jump to conclusions on it. Uh, but that that has stunned me. It really has. Uh, when he said, when you said that he'd been charged or that was that there was an investigation, I expected something like drink driving or or something like that that we'd normally associate with footballers. But um, that's some serious stuff. Serious, serious stuff. Right, we're going to leave it there, and we're going to be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Let's make sure we get those likes in because I can see that there are over 500 of you watching us live right now across the multiple platforms, which is incredible. But we've only got 95 likes on the board. So you know what? I'm going to sit here for two more minutes and get you guys to hit that like button. Get the likes up as soon as possible. Please, please do smash the like button and subscribe to the channel if you're new. It really, really does help. Uh, we'd love to have you guys uh, as part of the Chronicles of Aguna family. If you'd like to go one further and become a member, you can do so too. But while I'm waiting for you to get those likes up to 150, because there is more than enough of you in the chat to do that, I want you to spam the chat box with where it is you are joining me from. So I can give you guys some shout outs in the meantime, while you pump those likes up. Uh, so where it, where is it that you're joining us from in the world? Let me know and I'll give you a shout out now. Right. Uh, let's get some of those replies in the chat box. What have we got? What have we got? What have we got? StreamYard takes a few seconds to filter through uh, with the comments. So I'm always a little bit behind on this. Uh, just flick over to the YouTube page so I can see a little bit quicker. Right. Here we go. Uh, Bournemouth. We've got North Carolina, Sweden, South Africa, uh, York in North Yorkshire. We've got Singapore. Uh, fantastic. We've got lots of people uh, all over the world joining us. We've got uh, Melbourne, Australia. We've got uh, Rayong in Thailand, Kenya, uh, the US, Denver. We've got Cork in Ireland. Uh, we've got Jamaica. Wow. 
brilliant brilliant stuff brilliant to see so many people join us from all over the world we've got copenhagen in denmark as well lovely place uh, we're 10 likes shy of the 150 so come on hit the like button let's get there by the time i give you guys a few more show uh, shout outs we've got uh, cumbria we've got nyc puerto rico zhonghai in china we've got botswana london uh osman ali's outside the cronky residence uh, apparently give him a knock and uh, and tell him uh, we care to you uh we've got uh, leon in the uk we've got rashid in morocco uh, we've got Hong Kong, Vancouver, Antigua, Nairobi, Philippines, Nepal, uh, J- Jamaica, Nigeria, East London, baby. Uh, we've got Pretoria, South Africa, Qatar, Morocco, and uh, Cape Town. Brilliant stuff. Also got Ethiopia too. Right, we're going to leave it there. I'll catch you all very, very soon. I'll be back tomorrow with the Manchester City preview. And then, of course, we'll be bringing you the show, uh, looking back on that game on Saturday night. Now, it is going to be later. Normally, we do it a couple of hours after the game or or sometimes even less than that. It's my old man's birthday at the weekend. So I'm going around. We're going to watch the game. We're going to have a meal and stuff. So I'm not going to be home till probably quite a bit later on. But we'll get the show out on Saturday night, probably be around about 9, 9.30 p.m. Uh, So a little bit delayed, but we will get it out to you that same night. And I look forward, hopefully, to talking about an Arsenal miracle victory. Until then, take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.